Hi guys, Pixel Advocate here. Thank you so much for checking out my show. I really hope you enjoy it. Full disclosure, much of what you're going to hear has, in fact, been recorded gradually over the last few years. So, don't be surprised if you hear the odd reference that sounds a bit outdated. For example, I may mention a now-defunct podcast as if it were still going. Or when I say something about modern technology, it may not be up-to-the-minute information. However, I finally decided to share these recordings I've been accumulating. I think you'll enjoy them, and lucky for me, the core subject matter on the pre-recorded stuff will not sound conspicuously outdated because it's all retro and is therefore outdated by nature. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, on with the show. Lost all! Welcome to the first proper episode of The Pixel Advocate. I was just downstairs moments ago and was. Well, I decided I wanted to play a little bit of uh, NES. So I um, put in Mike Tyson's Punch Out and I got all the way to the. the penultimate fight facing off against Super Macho Man when suddenly the screen just started blinking, blinking, blinking. I think it's something to do. It's a well-known problem. Uh, what you know? There's something to do with the NES lockout chip or something like that. I know I've read about this before. I. Hadn't had the problem up until now, so I didn't have to deal with it. I know it's easy to fix, um, and there's resources online to do that, so I guess that's uh, on my to-do list for the near future, to get my crusty old NES back up into uh, working order so that I don't waste a bunch of time playing a game only to have it start blinking at me. Anyways... I don't know why I told you that, but uh, now I'm up here. Um, a rare moment where I have the house myself for a little bit. Um, just thought I'd sit down and record the introduction to this episode. Um, having a amber ale here in my glass tastes good. Because uh, as you know from the opening statement I have on these podcasts, um, at least these early ones are pre-recorded uh some of them are fairly old not old but they're not exactly extremely recent i've been sitting on them for a while i've decided to be pretty forthright about that um don't worry uh new episodes are new as in like new new episodes are planned and already uh recording has already started on some of those so they're gonna be uh Locked and loaded, so there will be more Pixel Advocate to come. I know you were 
really fretting that there might not be, both of you out there listening, but don't worry, I'm here to tell you that I aim to please. So, this episode's topic is about why retro, as in why do we retro gamers like to play retro games? Simple question, right? It was uh, when I first came up with the idea of doing this show, and I still wasn't 100% committed to the idea, still kind of testing the waters. I This was one of the first topics that came to mind that I'd like to talk about. And when I was traveling for work, shortly thereafter, I thought, hey, you know, I'm going to have a lot of time to kill in that hotel room. That'd be a good opportunity to kind of sit down and gather my thoughts on this topic and, uh, and take a, um, take a try at recording it. So that's what I did. Um, you're about to hear the product of that now. And, um, just a, just a little warning up front. Um, this, I, I listen, I, I listened to this recording before recording this intro. Now, um, I hadn't heard it in a while. I've been kind of sitting on it for a while. And, um, there, there's some moments in this recording where, I, some of the things I say, I wonder if maybe they aren't going to translate in the intended way. I don't know. You'll probably see what I mean when you, when you hear it. I'm, if you stick around and listen to the show, you're probably going to pick up on this. I've just got a bit of a dry sense of humor, you know, and that's really all it is. So maybe some of the comments in here, some people are like, well, hang on, you know, they might be offended by them. I really hope that doesn't happen. Like, I'm just, I'm just stating some of my own personal opinions. I'm very upfront about that. Um, and maybe there's a, you know, a joke here, here or there, uh, at others expense, but it's just, it's just, uh, playful ribbing is all it is. So please anybody, if you hear anything in this, and you're probably going to know some of the comments as soon as you hear them, that these are the ones I'm talking about, <laughs> but there is no malice intended. It's just all in fun. At the time I thought it would be obvious, but listening to it, um, after, you know, quite a while, um, and have pretty much having forgotten about it. I, um, it occurred to me that probably not going to translate well for everybody, but you know what? I'm not changing it now. I stand by it. It's just, I'm just kidding around. Um, just stating my own personal thoughts and, um, anybody's free to agree or disagree. So that's enough disclaimer stuff. Um, I guess, uh, let's do this on with the show. I'm actually quite far away from home at the moment. I'm sitting in Houston, Texas, traveling for work. And I thought it would be a good time here in the hotel room to pull up the old laptop and tablet and uh, do a little bit of podcasting. Last night I was in Oklahoma City, which is uh, home to a great podcaster among us, Rob Flack O'Hara, who does the You Don't Know Flack podcast, as well as Sprite Castle. I'm sure he needs no introduction to anybody who might be listening to this. I remember him mentioning on his show um, a place called Cactus Jacks in Oklahoma City, where he's from. So since I was in the area last night, I decided to go check that out. Um, and so I had that planned all up front, of course, but I don't know, things just weren't really working in my favor. I uh, 
was traveling into Oklahoma City on a Sunday night. So I checked the hours of operation for Cactus Jackson. I was kind of happy to see that on Sunday their hours go, they're open till 11 p.m. on Sundays. And my flight was leaving the Detroit area around, I think it was 3.15 p.m. So I did the math, and okay, I'm going to lose an hour going to Central Time, and yeah, a couple hours to get there. Yeah, it should leave me plenty of time to land, get my stuff, get in the rental car, get to the hotel, check in, and then uh, go get a few quality hours of gaming out at Cactus Jacks. So I get to the airport, and I sit down, and of course, uh, flight delay, we don't know when your plane's going to be here, all that nonsense. Didn't end up leaving Detroit until, I don't know, close to two hours after I was supposed to. So so for every minute that goes by, I'm thinking, okay, this is a minute I'm losing at the arcade. I was getting upset. But I ended up making it to Oklahoma City in a decent time. Um, I thought I had plenty of time to get out there, and I did. If they had stayed open is uh, during the hours that their website says they were they're supposed to stay open. I got there, I think it was a little before 9 o'clock. And so I thought, okay, this is, I'll get five bucks worth of quarters, I'll play some Asteroids, play some Robotron, and uh, get a good solid two hours in here gaming, and I'll head home and go to bed. But I was there for 15 minutes, I think I played one game of Galaga, one game of Ms. Pac-Man, and one game of Robotron, and then I heard this voice come over the loudspeaker saying, uh, we are closing in ten minutes. Uh, needless to say, I was... Extremely disappointed and annoyed. I um, continued to play. I was kind of tucked over in the corner, and um, I think I stayed a little longer than the staff there wanted me to. I think everyone else had gone, and I kind of walked out in the open, and I see this young kid with a eyebrow ring kind of cleaning up behind the counter, and he looks at me and says, Dude, we're closed. And I'm like, Yeah, I realize you're closed, but... You know, just so you know, your website says that you're supposed to be open until 11 p.m. tonight. And he says, oh, yeah, well, we're just closing early tonight, kind of a one-off thing. I'm thinking, one-off thing, just my luck. The one night that I'm here, they close early. But I made a point of telling him, yeah, well, I kind of drove in from out of town to see this place and play some games. And you're kicking me out after I'm only here for 10-15 minutes, so just so you know that. I don't know. I think he felt genuinely kind of bad for me. But at the same time, he's probably thinking, who's this old guy, like, here to play games by himself? Yeah, whatever. Kids these days, right? preview episode I gave a kind of a summary, a rundown of my history playing games uh, starting in the early 80s with my introduction to the Atari 2600 and video games in general through the 80s playing heavily, uh, the 8-bit era up up through the 16-bit era at which point I kind of lost interest a little bit, uh, moved on to other things and then how in the mid-late 90s and early 2000s, I kind of 
got back into it on a limited basis playing some of the more what we would I guess we would call nowadays the modern consoles. But what I haven't talked about yet is at what point did I kind of rediscover all the really old stuff, all the what we would now call retro games. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that and on a little bit of a side note, I'm going to provide a little bit of a commentary on why retro. Why do I like retro games? And I think some of the things I say, not that I think that they're some kind of definitive explanation, but I think uh, I'm pretty confident that anyone listening to this is probably going to identify with at least some of the things I say. So that should be fun. Now for this portion, I kind of went back and forth on how much detail I want to get into here because, frankly, some of the details for me are kind of personal And if that sounds strange, then you'll understand what I'm talking about in a second. But ultimately, I think I decided that I got to kind of touch on it a little bit because, well, it's the truth. And if I'm going to bother to tell this story, then you got to have some uh, semblance of truth to it or what's the point, right? So anyway, the story starts uh, back in about 2009, I want to say. At the time I was married... um, my wife, at the time, uh, we had been together for 12, 13 years, something like that. And uh, it was going great. No complaints on my side, at least at the time. We made friends with another couple. And in fact, these this other couple were both people I happened to know from, uh, from high school, from grade school. I knew them from the past. I'd never hung out with them on a personal level or anything like that, but ended up making friends with them. And... Uh, you know, we were kind of the the two couples that always hung out together and did things together. And we spent a lot of time together for a solid two years or so. I had a lot of fun. But what I didn't realize was happening was uh, my wife was, and the guy in the, uh, in the other relationship were having an affair. And so when I found out about that, that was kind of the, uh, the end of that marriage for me and, um, and for them. And, um, I think the worst thing about it was the way that I found out it happened was we had just had a daughter and I had a DNA test done on the, on the kid. And, um, after thinking I was the father for two months, I realized that, well, by means of hard scientific evidence, I realized that this child wasn't mine. So that was the end of that. And now guys, I'm not, this isn't like a pity party. This is several years ago, it actually makes me feel kind of empowered to be able to talk about this stuff. So I'm not looking for, you know, it's not a sob story. I'm not, I'm beyond this. I've, I've got a a new girlfriend now. She's great. We're doing great. I'm doing great. And that's enough Debbie Downer crap. So how that all plays into this is that obviously in the immediate aftermath of that, I was down in the dumps and after just a few months of living that kind of life, uh, you know, post-relationship life, post-relationship post, um, trauma, um, the economy started tanking and uh, I was laid off from work. So there I was. It was like a one-two punch. Basically lose your family, lose your job. So there I am, just kind of alone in this house, nowhere to go, nothing to do wondering what the heck I'm going to do to pay the bills. And it was during that time where 
I think I found solace in playing video games, as silly as that sounds. And it wasn't retro yet. I was borrowing PlayStation 2 games from friends. We were playing the original God of War. That was fun. And a few others. You know, but eventually things picked back up, and I, I was back to work. You know, naturally it felt really good to be back to work, back, you know, spirits were higher, I was feeling a lot better about things, and looking for something to spend some of my uh, new income stream on, I decided to pick up a PlayStation 3, even though I was all but certain I was hardly ever going to use it. <laughs> but I bought one anyway, and I um, I know I kind of already touched on this on the, on the last episode, but this is where it kind of, the story kind of branches off. It was playing um, Pac-Man Championship Edition DX and Super Stardust HD on the PlayStation 3, which are both really, you know, great modern takes on arcade-style games. I was playing those games and, you know, working on my scores and practicing and just becoming addicted to these quick pick-up-and-play games. That is what made me start thinking about, you know, the old stuff the stuff from my past. So, at that point, I thought, what the heck? I'm going to go... I knew that at the time that there was a, a retro gaming store in town. Actually, it wasn't just retro. It was gaming in general, but they happened to carry old stuff as well. So, I went down there, and, uh, I, you know, I said, I'm going to pick myself up an Atari. I, I'd been thinking about it for quite a while. I, I don't know what took me so long. I mean, it's not like it was that expensive. I don't know what I was waiting for. I guess I was afraid that I was just going to buy it play it once and then throw it in a closet, but even if I did that, I mean, I think it's still worth having, even if I pull it out once in a while, it's still worth having, so, anyways, I broke down, went out there, walked into that store, looked around, I was in there not ten seconds, and there it was, I could see it up on this shelf, it was still in its uh, original box, the box was kind of torn and weathered, but it was all complete, everything was there. It wasn't, unfortunately, I kind of wish it was like a six-switcher. It was, I guess what you call now a uh, four-switch woody. The four-switcher with the wood grain on the front. And as soon as I pulled that thing down off the shelf, I was like, I kind of felt like, remember Yukon Cornelius from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special? He's like goes to that land of misfit toys where there's all this stuff there that no one wants. That's what I kind of felt like. I grabbed that Atari down off the shelf, walked past this bin, and they had just rows and rows of these old, crusty Atari cartridges for about a dollar a piece. Um, I remember picking up Missile Command, Asteroids, Dodge em, Breakout, just a bunch of the old standbys, the old, uh, the old common games. But then, at the front of the store, there was, uh, this kind of glass case that had a whole other set of games. I guess, I don't know, I'm not really sure why, because it's not like there are anything extremely rare or valuable there or anything in really good condition. I think the owner must have thought that there was something more special about these games. But anyway, point being, there was a whole other set. Um, and I walked up, and I remember I immediately recognized the, the uh, unforgettable kind of silhouette of an the Activision cartridges, saw uh, Enduro, Kaboom, Frostbite, you know, the kind of fading labels and all that Actaplac glue look bleeding through the labels. 
It makes it look like the games were stored in a bag of McDonald's french fries. You know what I'm talking about, right? Brought everything home, hooked it up, played for several hours, and I spent, you know, the next several months just kind of looking through the classifieds, chasing down all my old favorites, Um, especially the ones that that weren't in the store that, that first day I went in. I was looking for, you know, Frogger, Pressure Cooker, Empire Strikes Back. Eventually found just whatever that I was looking for. It didn't take very long. Um, it occurred to me at that point that, you know, the 2600 is kind of a, a relic. It's not going to be around forever, so... I've established that I'm enjoying playing this thing, so I might as well pick up backup unit in case this one takes a dump on me. So I uh, found a, uh, a Vader, the uh, four-switch all-black uh, Atari 2600. In the local classified, some kid was selling it for like ten bucks. I'm pretty sure that I remember this kid made me meet him at a uh, at a coffee shop. I called him up and I said, "Yeah, I see, I'm interested in that Atari." He's like, "Yes, yeah, that'd be ten dollars, sir. Uh, uh, where can I meet you?" It's like he was afraid I was like some kind of creep or something like that. I don't know, but he's like, "Meet me at the uh, coffee shop on such and such street." So. I'm like, how am I going to know who you are? He's like, I'm going to be the young kid with long hair standing out in front of the coffee shop holding an Atari. And I'm like, well, I, I guess he's not going to be too difficult to identify then. So so I drove over there, picked it up, brought it home, worked great. And then I got a third unit. Uh, a friend of mine found an old 2600 Junior kind of collecting dust and mold in his crawl space. And he had also had a uh, a shoebox full of cartridges. And I said, uh, I'll take that. He's like, all yours, buddy. So brought that one home. It didn't work at first. I had to uh, troubleshoot it a bit. It ended up being a uh, bad power switch. But I got that thing up and going. So now I've got three and a small collection of controllers. So I think I'm all set for the time being. You know, in the months and years that followed, I would continue to collect... Um, small batch of retro hardware. I got an NES, uh, an original Game Boy. Has to be original. I also got a uh, Game Boy Advanced, um, but I only play Game Boy games on it, so I guess it's the only advantage there is the the screen is backlit and easier to see. And I got an Atari Lynx. Kind of got ripped off on that one. Bought it off eBay. It didn't really work when I got it, even though the guy said it worked. I argued with him a bit, got him to give me some of my money back, and I ended up keeping it and fixing it. Um, so it works now. It's uh, there, ready to go whenever I want to play it. Around this time, after playing all these old games, it got me thinking there's still kind of one big piece of the puzzle missing here, and that's the arcades. I spent a lot of time in the arcades in the late 80s, early 90s. Spent just about all of my meager funds that I would get from mowing lawns and delivering papers at the arcades. And just, you know, I had a lot of fun. And they kind of vanished from my area around the late 80s. And I know there was like somewhat of a renaissance of arcades that happened with the Mortal Kombats and the Street Fighter 2s and all that stuff. Didn't really see that in my area. Um, Yeah, you'd see machines pop up here and there, but the whole idea of 
a large dedicated business space that has a collection of games that you can go and play and you go there for the purpose of playing those games that whole paradigm had kind of was kind of dead in my area it'd been several several years since i played any good quality arcade games now i had dabbled with mame a little bit through the years i kind of discovered it in early 2000s and screwed around with it a little bit went and bought a d-pad controller but you know playing arcade games with a d-pad controller or a keyboard it's cool for a quick five minute nostalgia fix or something like that but it's just it's just not the same you're not gonna be able to kind of dig into a game and practice it and get good at it and try and chase scores for that you kind of need either a real cabinet or the next best thing which is some kind of main rig with real arcade controls so at this point it occurred to me why don't i take a pc that's running mame and put it in a box that looks like an arcade machine and i'll have an arcade machine in my house now mind you i'm not kidding i dreamt this up on my drive to work one day and i actually thought i was the only one to ever think of this <laughs> and it's hilarious now because I, I get home and Google it, and of course, I find out that people have been doing this for years. There's whole communities online dedicated to building main cabinets and this and that, whatever. But didn't matter. At that point, I decided that I absolutely must do this. This is this is going to happen. So I did. I built a main cabinet. Now I'm not going to talk much about that now because I think I'm going to reserve that topic for a dedicated show. But I did build a cabinet actually one and a half i'll explain what that means um when i get to that topic but and that thing i can't even count the number of hours that that thing has seen since I, it's been put into service um just fantastic i recommend anybody who thinks they have any desire to play arcade games but doesn't have the means or desire to collect real machines you, you gotta build yourself one of these things it's just Ah, you just gotta do it. Thank me later. One moment I'm making steps forward And the next I am slowing Wandering around without a map Oh, where am I going? Did I make a wrong turn somewhere? Can't seem to find the exit to this maze What started as hours is turning to days Explain to me which way to the end of this world I found the door If I could only find the key I'd get to change And my numbers ain't the best right now But I hate keeping score When life is like a video game So many traps in which to fall Your adversary's always really tall at the start of the show i want to provide a little bit of a commentary about retro gaming in general why retro gaming why do we like this so much i mean because let's face it guys it's a pretty poorly understood hobby if you think about it I mean, yeah you might log on to facebook or some social network site have someone 
You used to know from high school, post a picture of an NES and say, hit like if you remember this. And then people chime in with comments about how much they miss it and everything. But come on, don't don't mistake that for them actually being any form of retro gamer as we would as we know it. Um, they're just taking five, ten seconds of their day while they're sitting on the crapper, typing in this message to say, and then, then you know, say a few quick comments, and then they never think about it again. Um, not. Everybody is born with that nostalgia gene, that kind of propensity for giving reverence to the great things of the past, like we are. You know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I find it a little bit hard to find like-minded people out in the real world. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have my my brother, and to a slightly lesser extent my sister, who actually share my enthusiasm for playing retro games. And uh, whenever we get together, we always laugh. We always play a bit, you know, talk about different games, things like that. And we kind of we kind of get it, if you will. Um, but outside of that, there's really there's really nobody. I mean, I don't I know several people who play modern consoles and computer games and everything, but the retro stuff, no, I don't, don't really know anybody. So enter the internet, right? I mean. That's the universal solution for people looking for some kind of community, some kind of togetherness. I mean, I remember hearing about a place on the internet where you can go if if you're if you're an adult who likes to wear diapers, you know, not out of some medical condition, but because you think it's exciting or something of this sort. Now, I don't. I don't feel very comfortable in a diaper myself, but I do appreciate having the internet around for, you know, thing, my hobbies, like uh, retro gaming and a few others. And as far as criticism of retro gaming goes, I don't think there's a tougher crowd out there than modern gamers. Now, on the surface, that might seem a little paradoxical because you think, well, why would somebody who plays video games criticize someone else who plays video games? But... In my experience, I find that the guys who are really into modern gaming are the ones who are going to be quickest to point out how silly retro gaming is. I'm sure you've all experienced this at least a few times. They just don't understand why somebody would play 30-year-old games, for example, when brand new cutting-edge games are released nowadays in ridiculously powerful hardware. Why would someone do that? A really good friend of mine um, falls into this category. He's he's uh, through and through a modern game player. And he's always cracking jokes about me and my 30-year-old games and how they're all just Twitch-based nonsense. They're simplistic and blah, blah, blah. But it's clear when you when you look at what interests him that all he cares about is graphics and realism and all this you know, shading effects and all this technology stuff that is just peripheral to the game itself. So, back to the question at hand, why retro? I think it usually starts, for most of us, with nostalgia. Um, It starts there, you, you start thinking about it, you have fond memories, and then you want to go reacquire some of this stuff. But, 
Nostalgia alone isn't going to keep you in the hobby. It's the games that keep you there. You get back into it, you start playing the games, you discover some new games that are new to you, even if they're old. And that's what keeps you there. That's what keeps me here. And I think there's a fallacy that gets thrown about all too often. And that's this assumption that better hardware necessarily leads to better games. And I think that's complete nonsense. It's just, in my experience, that is not what reality has shown us. There's no guarantee that the quality of the games, the amount of entertainment value you extract from a game, will go up just because the hardware it is running on is more powerful. That's not guaranteed. There still needs to be a good game there. And I think that's the part that a lot of people just don't understand. So as soon as you realize that these old games that we like have traits that we find desirable, we don't like them just because they're old. We like these games because they exhibit traits that we find enjoyable. And when you look at it that way, it doesn't seem so strange anymore, does it? It's just playing video games like the next guy. It's just a different kind of video game. I think there's a common tendency among people to kind of equate the concept of better graphics with the concept of better games. In other words, if you have better graphics, by definition, you have better games. Now, that concept isn't new. I think it was very prevalent back in, for example, the you know 16-bit console wars, where people would always, on either side, kind of point to graphics and visual type elements as evidence that their team of choice is winning. The exact same sort of thing applies here. You get people who really think that just because these modern games look so good and the old games look so primitive, it's not even a discussion. These modern games are vastly superior. The thing is, I think retro gamers aren't so easily fooled. We realize that beauty is just skin deep. Let's face it, lots of bad games hide behind pretty graphics. Or at least they try to, and we're just not fooled. Now, I want to emphasize that I realize people will like what they like. There's no right or wrong answer, and I'm not trying to say that retro games are objectively better than modern games. But I just want the takeaway to be that Retro gaming isn't just about playing stuff that's old just because it's old. When we play retro games, it's because the games are good video games. A good video game is timeless. That is the whole point, which seems so simple to us, but I think a lot of people just don't understand it. I talked a little bit earlier about traits that are desirable in retro video games. Traits that are desirable enough to make us Forget about all the new stuff and go back and play the old stuff. You know, things like simple controls. You can pick up the controller or walk up to the arcade machine, and within 30 seconds, you fully understand what you're doing. Okay, maybe not on Defender. That's an exception. But in general, you it's extremely easy to figure out what you're doing. There's not very many buttons. You can get right down to just enjoying the game. And this next one, for me, is a really big one. Retro arcade-style games were so much more dense 
in their action than modern games are. Well, now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is when you play a game like, for example, Robotron 2084, or even a slightly slower game like Donkey Kong or Pac-Man, take your pick. This applies equally to any number of obscure, lesser-known console and arcade games. I'm just pulling some ex quick examples off the top of my head. Chances are you're going to start that game, and you're going to game your little butt off for 5-10 minutes, or however long you can fight that game and survive. And that entire time, you've got the pedal to the metal. It's intense. You're doing your absolute best to survive. But inevitably, you die. And all that you have done is spent 5-10 minutes of your life. And you can play again if you like, or you can just walk away. You don't have these commitments of 80, 100, 120 hours that are required to get the fullest out of these enormous 3D open world modern games. And in those games, those modern games, you don't have that density of action that I just talked about. Rather than having an intense 10 minutes of play like you do with the old stuff, you could spend 10 minutes just walking around looking at things in a modern game. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're you know, a first-person, a third-person game, and you're walking through this big open world, and you see a building in the distance, and you could spend 30 seconds just holding your thumbstick forward while you run towards that door, or that object, or that car, or that enemy. And that 30 seconds you spent just running in that direction might even be an entire game at an arcade, or a, a solid, challenging classic game. That's what I mean by the density of the action. You get so much more happening in a short span of time. No time is wasted. You go in there, you get your game on for a few minutes, the game kicks your butt, and you're done. At that point, you can walk away or you can play again. No commitment. Another uh, great aspect, in my opinion, for the old games is, is the scoring systems. That was how you measured your performance. Your score. The score would objectively measure how good you are. Now, I know some games had tricks that you could exploit and that you know, people would be able to get these really ridiculously high scores that aren't really indicative of their actual skill, but in general, you could really work at a game and see your score get better, so you realize you're getting better. And then you compare notes with your friends and other people at the arcade or other people at school, and you can just see how you stack up. Now, you don't have to be a crazy competitive person wanting to be better than everybody. That's not what it's about. It's just about shooting for something. So even if, you're, even if you're only competing with yourself, you set your personal best and then try and do better at some other time. And then when you finally do better, it's kind of a rewarding experience. So much more rewarding than spending 120 hours on your couch in jogging pants smelling like pee to finish a game that anybody could finish as long as they put enough time into it. And then you finish that game, and you walk away from it, and you never think about it again. I just don't see how that's very fulfilling. You know, I guess it is for some people, not for me. Another thing about retro games is they're, they're just more clean fun. I mean, look at a game like Pengo. You're this penguin pushing little blocks of ice around, squashing these little things that are called snow bees while a cute little tune plays. I mean... How innocent is that? Now, that's just an example. Of course, there are 
are thousands of different games out there using kind of different characters and different styles of play. But it just comes to mind as kind of typical, let's say, of the uh, of the era that it comes from. And then compare that to these these games today, where it's there seems to be this obsession or this this lust for gore and pushing the envelope and shock value. I don't understand why that's necessary. I, I don't need to be shocked. I don't need to see sex and blood and gore to play a video game. I, and I don't want to see any of that stuff. I really don't. I mean, and, I, and I'm not uptight. I'm not offended by that stuff. I just don't want to see it in a video game. Plain and simple. Video games are supposed to be fun. They're not about pretending you're hacking someone's arms off. You know what I'm talking about? And then you have other things in modern games like the tutorials instead of the old instruction manual. You do the first level, walk three steps, and then this bubble pops up and tells you what you're supposed to do next. You hit OK. You walk four more steps, another bubble pops up. You hit OK. You walk five steps, and then this bubble pops up asking you to buy something. You know what I'm talking about. This stuff is annoying. You come from an era where you sit down, plug a cartridge into a console, turn it on, and you're playing. This stuff just doesn't compute. It doesn't fit. It just feels out of place. It takes you out of the game. And I just can't stand it. Then you have the whole aspect of you don't own anything anymore. All this new stuff is, well, not all of it, but a lot of it is you download it, you have very strict DRM associated with it. You're always being nagged to upgrade stuff and buy stuff and give credit card numbers. I mean, granted, I know this doesn't apply to every game, but these, come on, anyone who's paying attention can acknowledge these are common themes in video games nowadays. And lastly, you have the uh, infamous cutscene. I guess some people like this stuff. Some people like the storytelling aspect of games. Hey, and hey, if you like that, that's great. I'm not saying stinks objectively i'm just saying in my opinion cutscenes are boring i don't want to sit there and watch computer animated characters with horrendous dialogue interact with creepy looking lips you know those lips that don't really look like lips they're just these bars of polygons that move up and down kind of sort of in time with the horrendous dialogue it doesn't interest me these are just some of the reasons why people like me and like you might want to go out and play old games instead. Because the old games don't have these characteristics. You don't have to deal with that stuff. The old things that you have to deal with are things that you like. And that wraps up the first proper episode of the Pixel Advocate. Hope you enjoyed that discussion on why retro. And I hope maybe a couple of things I mentioned there resonate with you a little bit, or maybe you identify with it. Or maybe you disagree, or maybe you don't like some of the things I said. Either way, you can feel free to contact me and tell me as much um, at pixeladvocate at outlook.com. 
That's P-I-X-E-L-A-D-B-O-C-A-T-E, all one word, at Outlook.com. Uh, one other thing, um, just wanted to mention here, that I should mention it. The I talked about that business at the beginning of the show about, or at the beginning of the pre-recorded portion of the show, I talked about those issues uh, in my past relationship and, and all that terrible stuff. Um, and I mentioned that I've, and you know, that I have a new girlfriend and things are great and all that. Um, actually, there's been <laughs> a few big updates in the meantime since then. I uh, actually, um, it's even better. We ended up getting married and um, now we have a um, young daughter. So, yeah, stuff moves quickly. Um, we are uh, doing very well, very happy with the way things are going. So thought that would just make a nice little um, uplifting ending to this, uh, this uh, first installment of the Pixel Advocate. May we all appreciate what we have today. And in our fleeting spare moments, may we fondly reflect upon our Pixel Perfect Past. Bye for now.